Welcome to Vertical Insights, a podcast series brought to you by CA Ventures, bringing you an in-depth look at the commercial real estate industry through the lens of CA's resident subject matter experts. I'm Robert Maddock. And I'm Megan Nam, And this is Vertical Insights. have our very first veteran guest with us today, Steve Boyack, Chief Operating Officer of CA Student Living, and he is joined with us by Mike Hung, Senior Vice President of Acquisitions. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. So we're here today to talk about value add strategy for student living. We hear a lot about the different investment strategies, core value add. Can you start us off with a very simple kind of primer and you guys can decide who wants to take this first on what value add means? You want to get after it, Mike? I was going to ride your coat. This is a very short episode. <laughs> I think value add, I think has really evolved over the years. I think it first started when, you know, you took first gen student housing back in nineties vintage stuff and threw some lipstick on it and put in new kitchens and countertops and flooring. And, and that was a value add strategy. I think now as the industry's evolved and, and, and markets have evolved, I think there's a few different areas you can call value add or opportunistic type deals. And it's, it's still kind of that original play of going in and rehabbing product, but I think there's a huge play for operational upside in some of these markets that have struggled. I think that's its own form of value add. And then there's just a, an overlap of some opportunistic stuff as well, where it's just a, a pure market play where you're getting into markets that might've been overbuilt and uh, waiting for them to bounce back. So I think people are deploying value add dollars in, in very different ways and in various you know kind of arenas. And it's not just kind of the going in and improving a product with new kitchens and floors. I think there's a huge operational component and also a market component that you're seeing these value funds go into. So I definitely think it's expanded over the years from kind of when you know, you and I first got into it, Steve, uh, many years back. Yeah, I would agree with everything that Mike just said. I have been doing value add for the last 25 or so years and can tell you that there are as many opportunities to come in, take over operations from unsophisticated uh, either operators or investors who maybe just got the business plans wrong and add value just by deploying institutional quality of operations on the asset. And then the other side, as Mike said, being, you know, Maybe you do throw some new amenities in or start doing some work in any of the units, but either works. So is the approach typically two-prong or are you looking at potential value-add deals through the lens of just a development opportunity or just an operational play? Well, embedded in what I said a second ago is uh, I've done a number of takeovers of assets that we've purchased that are existing where the only strategy was just to instill an institutional quality of property management. Our underwriting uh, actually included additional rent or value being generated purely through the management platform. And then in other instances, you'd associate additional revenue lift from any sort of capital improvements that you'd put on the property. And if you could give us a little bit of an overview in terms of with CA, obviously development, and we've been focusing on your major top tier one tier A universities across the United States, really the power five conferences, if you will. Can you discuss a little bit about the market today and where that opportunity set is available from a value add standpoint? Kind of going back to what I started with, where I said, you know, that first gen value add was kind of your early 90s vintage product that people were buying, or, you know, 2000 vintage product that people were buying 
you know, six, seven years ago and, you know, 2015 or so and, and throwing all that money into it from a rehab standpoint. But now that the world's kind of evolved, you know, you have core developers like CA Ventures who've been building product for the last 10, 15 years. And, you know, that product has now become definitely not functionally obsolete, but you got a lot of really well located product that might not have had any sort of capital influx or major major capital influx over the last 10 years and it's in need of some love. So I think the first gen of value add student housing properties were kind of non-pedestrian, call it a mile plus away from campus. And now you're kind of getting this new influx of call it 2009 and newer that might've been built by a core developer that they've owned for the last handful of years. They don't really have a capital play to you know infuse new dollars into it. And I think you know some of those products need some love. So there's the ability to go in and update amenities, update some you know units and have really well located product within a mile, half mile of campus that you can go and kind of bump rents and um, you can go in and, and, and do a little bit of a rehab program, update the amenities and bump rents and still have a nice healthy gap between you and the brand new product, but you're in a very core location. So I think that's kind of the new generation of value add that we're going to see some opportunities. So Mike, just to kind of carry on with that thought, it's not so much if you're traveling to you know 50 universities across the United States. From an acquisition side, you're not now looking to go add another 50 universities to that. You're going to the same cities and states that you've already been going to, but maybe just looking at, at other avenues that is, is new. Yeah, for sure. I definitely think there's that aspect of it where, you know, we're not just looking to develop in these very top tier, super core markets that we've always looked at, but, you know, we can acquire value add there, like you said, but also in these value add and opportunistic buckets, I think it, it allows you to go out and maybe expand that a little bit. Now, do we expand it to 150 markets? Probably not, but maybe we take that 50 markets and expand it to 75 and it opens up the set a little bit because there are some great state schools with great state stories. Look at North Carolina, Texas, Florida, and some of those directional universities that might not fit a core new developer's bucket have really good fundamentals behind them that you know you could expand a value add strategy into and go into them and take a little bit of a chance and, and do some programs there that could really you know bump rents and get some nice returns. So I do think it expands those markets you know a little bit. I don't think it you know you don't want to start going to any and every university in the country, but I do think there's some very specific ones that we may not develop at because the rents don't justify it or uh, we can't justify the basis to build. But you can go in and buy and take $500 rents and bump them to 550 and make a pretty nice return doing that. So I do, I think it expands the market set uh, versus just what we do on the developments. Yeah. So it sounds like there's, there's a lot of opportunity. And, and to your point, Mike, it's, this is kind of a strategy that's on the rise right now. So I don't want to call it new, but you know, it's still, it's still evolving. Um, and not all of the players in the student housing space, not all the owner operators are actually pursuing this strategy right now. Why is this something that CASL decided to get into and why are we really well positioned to compete in this sector or niche within the sector, I should say? Student housing has been a very interesting market over the years, right? I mean, I think, you know, back in call it 2013 and 2016, the flavor of the day was value add and all capital wanted to come in and do value add and they wanted to do it at every single university. And I think there's this huge influx that did that. And then it was almost, you know, cap rates compressed almost too tight in some markets that they shouldn't have. Uh, there's a ton of money being poured in. I think there's too much new supply in some of these markets and a lot of those strategies didn't really pan out. And I think it created this weird, this weird situation where you had a bunch of equity pouring in and then you started getting lenders getting a little bit hesitant because they were lending on these properties and these markets that weren't as attractive. And, and some of them got burned and you saw some of the agencies back off of some markets and it kind of shifted the dynamic a little bit in the value add world because people were no longer going to secondary tertiary universities because they couldn't get the debt to go do it. So 
it, it created this dynamic and and with the cap rates cap rate compression it started almost making more sense for equity to go into core right cap rates got so compressed in value add that you weren't getting that much of a spread between core and value add because you were paying up front for that value add before even doing the work right so you're getting a couple hundred extra bips in return on your underwriting but you were taking the risk of going in and actually doing the rehab program and having to execute on a plan so a lot of money shifted back into core and into these core markets where you knew you could get debt. It was really safe places to place your money. And it was kind of the shift from value add back into core. And then you kind of saw post COVID, you started seeing a little bit more opportunities and you saw some of these opportunities in the core markets where, you know, maybe there was a local developer that had, you know, had a couple of footfalls and had fallen behind, missed the delivery. And there's opportunities for groups like us to get involved and go in and realize some of that opportunistic value add. And I think there's new stories being created now, just kind of given what's going on in the world. And, you know, we all know equity loves a story. So, you know, there's the opportunity to go out and capitalize and realize on some of these investments. And I think we're really well positioned to do it because we have the development background. We know these markets inside now, some of these super core markets. We have a property management team that has extensive experience on the value add side, Steve with over 25 years. I've done value add since I started in this space 10 years ago. So we have the capabilities to do it. We have a really strong construction team and inside of our property management company and, and people that really understand how to execute this. And I think we're really uniquely positioned to do it. And I think, you know, going back to the 2015 era of value add where a ton of equity was pouring into the space. They were doing it with a lot of kind of one-off owner operators. It was conventional groups trying to do it themselves and manage product themselves. And they weren't as successful. They were trying to bolt on a student manager onto a conventional management platform they had. And it's a completely different beast. So I think, you know, going back to why we're well positioned to do it, we have kind of the name brand and track record and our core competency has always been student housing. And that's the kind of groups that equity wants to partner with now to go into these markets and maybe take a little bit more risk to do the value add programs and, and, and get the upside. They want to do it with groups that truly understand the space and not just some random conventional buyer that decided to go out and buy a student portfolio. So all that nod to our operational platform, Steve, I can't imagine you're not dying to jump in right now. <laughs> Look at him. Look at him. Hold him back. Steve, can can you just throw capital at this opportunity and make it successful? Or is it really something where you need that strong operator behind to bring out the opportunity for? You know, it's where you end up bringing in another layer of the operating team that I think, in my experience, is really critical. Done a lot of value add over the years with different operating teams, as I said earlier. You know, just layering in institutional management is one thing, and all of the bells and whistles that comes with that start to create a different experience for the residents on the ground. But I think the most critical piece, specifically in student housing, given the tight timeframes to turn things around and deliver back to the students, the logistics and the quality of the project managers that you use is just absolutely critical. I've I've worked with a number of project managers who are just very exceptional at delivering products. But when you have a population of people and and a management team that you also need to work in concert with to make sure that things are communicated well, are delivered on time, and that there's the most minimal disruption to the the lifestyles of the folks uh, who are on the ground, that is one of the really big distinctions of exceptional value-add projects. And so the team that we have that we've assembled uh, actually came up through the field. So they've, they've operated properties, they've dealt with the resident base, and now they're actually managing the capital as well. So putting all of those three things together is a key differentiator for sure for us. 
the expertise of, of understanding how it works on site is so crucial in student because, you know, you think about value add on conventional, right? You're rolling throughout the year and you're able to take units offline for a month or two when someone vacates them, do the program, put them back online. On student, the way the nature of our rent rolls, it's an August to July lease period, right? And everyone's on that same cycle. So it's a lot more of an expert, you know, you need a lot more expertise into when, you know, how to time and execute that plan because you're doing it over Thanksgiving break, winter break, spring break, uh, at turn for a week or two in the summertime, and you're not taking units offline. So I think having that skill set on site, having that skill set at the corporate level that can understand how it actually works on site is a huge advantage for us and, and something that a lot of groups don't have. I really never thought about the timeline. I mean, we all know that you can't miss a student in terms of new development deliveries. There's always, you know, this this time of year, right? July, August, where everybody disappears from the office because they're all on site, not just new deliveries, but also turns. So is there kind of a peak period of transactions for value add because you're looking for that kind of sweet spot for turnover or no? You want to be in as, as owner operator by the fall when the leasing season starts most of the time, right? I mean, you know, some of the stuff we're stepping into being a little bit more operational, or that we will step into in the value fund being a little bit more operational. You know, you can kind of get in there in December, but you definitely want to be in there before the spring semester. If you're really trying to go in year one and execute a value add plan from the start, right when you close that thing, you really want to be in early fall, right when the academic year starts. You can really get in, lay out a plan, and understand when you're going to kind of attack those units and, and, and at what time of year. And then it's also, we're not trying to go in and do 100% of the units in the first year. A lot of times you kind of do a a test set or a sample set year one, say maybe do 10 to 15, 10 to 20% of the units, see how you realize on it. And then you kind of implement a plan and strategy going forward. But um, I think, you know, if, if you are trying to implement a strategy, the year you step in, you kind of want to be in there by early fall so you can actually do it. Candidly, a lot of times our underwriting, we kind of, if we are going to be closing uh, later into the academic year, we don't really account for any value add or any kind of upgrades until our second year of ownership. We wouldn't you know, try to implement something if we close on something in the spring, we'd wait till the following year. Yeah, the other thing I'd add to that is the value that you're adding to the property is typically broken into pieces, right? So the management that I talked about, that could be out of the gate. And there's typically a bunch of quick wins that you could initiate to let the population on the property know that there's a new sheriff in town and there's a new standard that's going to be set for services. Mike talked about units. So certainly there's very, very tight windows for the delivery of any sort of improvements you're going to do to units. But the amenities is probably one of the biggest areas of opportunity in the in the value add space right now because there's so much change in demand and the needs and wants of the population that we're serving. I think, and I don't know if Mike agrees, but I think the cycle of value add or capital injection into properties is accelerated. You know, in my history, it's been more of a seven to eight year cycle where you're deploying larger capital slugs into the properties to refresh them. But with the competitive nature of the marketplace, as well as changes to the needs and wants of our populations, I think those cycles have sped up. So that would maybe be another answer to your question earlier about the opportunity. I think just more and more opportunities or more and more demand for properties to be improved in one way or the other. But Back to the point I was going to make is that there are different breaks within the school year where kids have a tendency to go home and then you again have a very small window of execution with the right logistics, with the right partners, the right suppliers, 
in the right marketing plan, the opportunity to surprise and delight the residents multiple times during their stay at a property is definitely on the ground for people who I think execute really well. So you can come in and sell them the initial improvements to the property, sell them the dream. And then every time they leave and come back, they have a wow moment. So by the time you are asking them for renewals or to recommend friends and family, you've delivered consistently on those promises and those improvements. And I think we all would agree that any product that we put our hands on that improves over the life cycle of that commitment of the product is one that you're excited about. You know, everybody always gives the examples of a, an iPhone. I don't know anybody who owns an iPhone that the next day or the next year or the next month that they own an iPhone, it's not better than the day they took it out of the box because they're constantly adding new things and experiences to it. And that's the same thing that we're trying to do in the value add execution at our properties. So Steve, you were hitting on something and let's just I'm trying to simplify this here, but our last podcast, we talked with Andrew Reagans on the senior team, and he really kind of talked about the hub and spoke approach model for the markets they were going into and really trying to leverage a team on the ground in these markets. You talk to capital and you know you, you present capital and opportunity, and maybe they're already overexposed to certain markets, right? So they're going to have an X on a certain area because they already have too much stuff there. From an operator standpoint and from looking at it, from your team side of things, is there an advantage to you guys to be looking at the exact same markets you're already in and really expanding boots on the ground in those teams with partners in these markets? 100%. We have an owned practice as well as a third-party practice in our management company, and there's value to be gained by both sides of that. Anytime we can expand our boots on the ground in any given market, we're going to see a return on that. We'll be able to hire more people, better people. We'll be able to put competencies that may have existed more in the hub. We can put those things closer to the spokes or the wheel when we have enough revenues being generated in marketplaces. So really the expansion of our capabilities in any given market raises all boats. Mike and Steve, can you give us maybe some example of a value add project? I know, I know we recently acquired something and, and maybe might be a little too early to talk about the, the specifics, but just kind of generally give us an overview of what that opportunity looks like and, and kind of where the team is and how we're executing on that strategy. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, it's a it's a great deal. We're really excited about it's a market that we already had a presence in. And it's kind of been on our top 10 market list from an acquisition and development standpoint for a really long time. It's an example of kind of that more operational, newer product, misdelivery, really able to capitalize on that. But like I said, it's at a large, you know, Power 5 university property that unfortunately missed delivery back in 2019. They were able to deliver in time for the fall of 2020 and they're able to get it leased up. But because of the reputational hit they took on missing delivery in the first year, they weren't able to capitalize fully on rents, although they did get full. They kind of had a rushed lease up cycle that occurred late last summer into the early fall, and they were able to get it to mid 90s occupancy. So like I said, it's one of these unique opportunities where it was a local developer. There's a couple different things in play there. Like I said, one, the missed delivery, two, he's coming up with the debt maturity, and three, he had retired out of that market. So he was actually just looking to kind of dispose of a few of his assets there, and, and we were able to step in and start managing that property, driving leasing for the fall, even before we closed it. Now that we're kind of in the driver's seat there, we're able to kind of push rate and set rate going forward and leverage our experience in that market. 
The other thing that I would say that having a deeper portfolio in any given market does is it also creates career path for our employees. One of the biggest challenges that our market and really a lot of industries have right now is the fight for talent. And so our ability to take people within the same geography and map out a much broader career opportunity for them gives us greater longevity of employee, which ultimately I think leads to better job satisfaction and ultimately better execution for the properties. Another, I think, meaningful and worth mentioning upside to being deeper in a market. Steve Boyack, always bring that insight. That's some vertical insight for you. <laughs> Avenues for opportunity. It's like vertical improvement now. Well, Steve, Mike, much appreciated. Thank you for joining the show. We look forward to hearing from you guys again soon on the continued success of the CA Student Living Platform. Thanks, guys. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having us.